Social justice means applying the law equally to all people. But in practice, that doesn't always happen. I'm John Gonzalez. I'm here at my law partner, Jack Derora. We practice law. We seek social justice. On this show, we reveal the conflict between the two. You know, for a while, it was just us in the office over a cup of coffee talking about the news of the day with social justice issues dominating our culture. Our focus became, how do we as lawyers make a difference? And now it's not just us. Today, we have Mike Ganadakis. Mike is the president of Ohio Right to Life. He's a lawyer. He's on the state medical board. And any time in Ohio when the uh, issue of abortion hits the press, Usually you'll see Mike uh, associated with uh, quotes or comments uh, in what's happening. So uh, welcome, Mike. Thank you for having me. Jack, um, I remember in law school, and we're all lawyers, so we all took constitutional law at uh, Capital University where I went. It was a uh, full-year course, Con Law 1 and 2. And, of course, we learned Roe versus Wade as the uh, law of the land with regard to the issue of abortion. one day uh, after um, reading Roe, learning about it from my professor's standpoint, I asked him what he thought about abortion. And he says to him, it, was a, it really had three components. He said, first, there's a legal component, which we learned in law school. And those of you that haven't been to law school uh, might uh, understand that a lot of times the law tries to uh, Um, balance and weigh the rights between individuals. And Roe versus Wade, in a lot of ways, was doing that uh, with regard to the abortion rights. And he would give an example, like even with free speech, uh, we weigh that against, uh, you know, the person's right to speak freely against yelling fire in a crowded theater. Or gun rights. People have gun rights, the right to carry a gun under the Second Amendment, but they don't have a right to come in your house with their gun or in your business or maybe in your school. So there's a balancing test. And the way he explained Roe versus Wade was a balancing test. Then he said the second component was a religious component. I'm Catholic. Abortion's a sin in my religion. And um, same with my professor. But it's a sin that can be forgiven if you, uh, you know, confess your sins. And then the last part was personal. Um, If your wife, your daughter, you know, your sister, somebody you knew that was close to you chose to have an abortion, would you personally support that decision? Which, to me, brings up a question. Can you be against abortion but pro-choice? What do you think? That's me. No, I am. I don't like the thought of abortion. But I'm pro-choice in that the nation is torn in half over the issue. So while I might think it's immoral, the other 50% don't see a moral issue there. So if we live in a civil law society, how do I force my views on morality on the other half. Be a different story if 55 or even 51% of the nation said, absolutely, this is wrong. But that's not where we are. So I, we're civil law lawyers. This is where I am. 
Let's talk to um, our guest, um, and let's start, Mike, with where we are in Ohio. Uh, last year, the uh, United States Supreme Court overruled Roe versus Wade, which, as I said, since I was in law school, was the, the law of the land. If I'm correct, uh, before that decision came out, didn't Ohio have a trigger law? Uh, am I saying that right? Where we had a law in the books, but it would be triggered by a decision by the Supreme Court. Uh, great question. Uh, we were close to passing that, we being Ohio Right to Life in the legislature, although that got put on hold and did not get to the governor's desk, the trigger law that is. Um, wanted to wait to see the outcome um, on that uh, Friday in June 2022 when the Dobbs decision came out. So we did not pass that at the time and wanted to first see what the landscape looked like. I, I appreciate the wisdom in that, um, and, and here we are today. But the law in Ohio as it stands is um, the same day that the Dobbs decision was released, uh, Federal Judge Michael Barrett down in the Cincinnati court, federal courts, uh, removed his injunction um, on our heartbeat law, and it went into effect, the heartbeat law, that is. So when did the heartbeat law become law then? Uh, Governor DeWine actually signed it. It was his, uh, in one of his first bills he signed uh, when he became governor, passed in a couple months in the legislature. So 2019 um, is when it was signed. It was put on hold. Uh, by Judge Barrett, and then on June 24th, 2022, he lifted the injunction and it went into effect for several months uh, before a common pleas judge in Cincinnati um, enjoined it, and we're in litigation with that now. So heartbeat, um, I've, I've read about six weeks then. Give or take. Yep. So uh, abortion legal before six weeks, illegal after six weeks. That's correct. Did your organization uh, fight to uh, lessen those the six weeks that, um, you know, uh, I know a lot of um, uh, abortion, um, uh, anti-abortion groups and people would say that since life starts at conception, there should be no abortion. What was your group's position on that? You know, the mission statement of Ohio Right to Life way before I started, and I've been there 16 years, is to protect and defend innocent life from conception until natural death. The heartbeat bill was first introduced back in 2012 in the state of Ohio and when God, Governor Kasich was governor, and Ohio Right to Life didn't support it at the time. We supported the concept. Of course, every baby with a beating heart should be protected even before that. But uh, we looked at the makeup of the current or the previous United States Supreme Court, and we can count to five, and we didn't have five justices that agreed with with us in our opinion based on prior decisions of course and we said right idea wrong time so for years and years and years we opposed it took a lot of arrows um, took a lot of beatings in the, in the pro-life community but we thought it was the right thing to do fast forward we had a president that appointed uh, three justices that were we thought were good on our issue for lack of a better term and we came out and supported the heartbeat bill and and, and here we are today. That wasn't the vehicle to overturn Roe, of course, but um, you know the heartbeat law is enjoined right now, so we're at we're at pain capable. We passed a pain capable law. It's approximately 21, 22 weeks, no abortions after that, except to save the life of the mother. That's the standard right now in Ohio. You mentioned that the law is temporarily blocked by um, a judge out of Hamilton County, and I um, was reading a um, quote by you that said that. Uh, that the um, the plaintiffs uh, did a nice job of judge shopping uh, in order to, uh, I guess, find a judge that would be uh, more receptive to their arguments. And of course, Hamilton County, most of the judges there are in, were endorsed by the Democrat Party. Correct. But I, I found that a little, um, at least for me, uh, interesting that you would say that because I would think that's happening at the the grand level too. Uh, you know, we're we're. Your group and uh, groups that are similarly situated want judges that, 
pass a litmus test. Well, sure. You know, we, we elect our judges at the state level and at the federal level, they're appointed for life at our current. If you look at our current Sixth Circuit, you know, it's extremely conservative, probably the most conservative circuit in the nation. Uh, several years ago, they upheld our um, Down Syndrome Non-Discrimination Act as being constitutional. A lot of people overlooked that uh, first first federal court to do that. Um, and so I, I, I guess the shoe fits both feet, you know, and, and we, <laughs> you know, um, you know, we see that, you know, look, Ohio is becoming so um, so focused on the three C's, Columbus, Cincinnati, Cleveland, for the most part. And whenever these types of issues, social conservative issues come up, they're going to be brought with litigation from ACLU in one of those three big counties. Mm-hmm. And before we let Jack get a word in here, um, kind of rounding out where we are in our state, uh, I, I think in the news recently is the abortion amendment and uh, the um, attorney general um certified the summary language. Maybe you can explain what that means. Sure. You know, pursuant to our state law and state constitution, um, after you collect about a thousand signatures, you know, you need, you can send language to the attorney general to review. Now, keep in mind the attorney general pursuant to our constitution doesn't get to weigh in on policy. You know, we know Dave Yost is pro-life. I support him and endorse him personally and professionally, but that's not his job to weigh in on the issue. It's to look at the language to see if it's a fair and truthful representation pursuant to law. And um, last Friday, he he said, yes, indeed it is. He, he wasn't making a value judgment on it, but he did his job. And that's all we can ask for. That's all we ever ask our elected officials is do what the law requires you to do and the Constitution requires you to do. Dave did his job. Um, now it goes to the ballot board. So next Monday, the, uh, the ballot board will hear this and determine if it's a single issue or it needs to be broken up into two. What, what will the abortion amendment do as far as um, if the status quo right now is, a, is abortions are legal before 20 weeks and illegal or restrictions after 20 weeks. Can you tell us generally, is that going to change with the abortion bill or does it stay about the same? So um, I brought a copy of the language. It's less than 300 words uh, for that Planned Parenthood has seek to approve and they're on the cusp of having it. And um, I'll leave the copy for you here. But um, their language as drafted um, and, and is reviewed by myself and people way smarter than me will allow for abortion all to and th- up to and through the ninth month of pregnancy. No limits, no restrictions. Further, it removes parental consent. So if you have an 11, 12-year-old daughter, she does not have to come home and talk to mom and dad or have mom and dad involved with her life. She could go to a guidance counselor, a coach, a neighbor, and have an abortion. I'll leave this behind, and we can all judge for ourselves, but it's pretty clear. The first words is every individual has a right to carry out their own reproductive. It doesn't say every adult. It says every individual. So these are the things. And look, Ohio is a Midwest state with Midwest values, and I'll, and I'll stop here. But when anyone overreaches, I think the voters push back. We're not going to ballot with a constitutional amendment to protect life at the moment of conception. We believe that we need to continue to change hearts and minds. We believe the percentages are on our side at some point in the spectrum of life, uh, but maybe not where we are ultimately. But we believe, and actually I know for a fact, even pro-choice Ohioans do not support late-term abortion. I want to get to my main bugaboo with the anti-abortion group, which is what I said when Gonzo and I talked back and forth a minute ago. The anti-abortion group is focused on the morality issue. I've looked at some polls As of 2022, those are the most recent ones I could find. 53% of Ohioans want to protect abortion rights. Baldwin Wallace, uh, the first one, I'm sorry, was Suffolk University of Boston. The second one was Baldwin Wallace here in Ohio. 
percentage of people in favor of an amendment that would protect abortion as a fundamental right, it was 59%. So I have to believe that 59% don't see a moral problem. And so I'm here thinking, how do you pass how do you pass a law based on morality when at least 50% of Ohioans don't th think it's moral? Aren't you really enforcing morality on people? And, and if you are, I mean, how do you do that? Yeah, you know, um, personally, my faith dictates everything I do in my life as a husband, father, a professional lawyer, as a neighbor, coach, and friend. Um, but I don't believe it the pro-life movement needs to be its foundations based on morality or religion, although it often is on a vast majority of us, um, but it can be based on science, you know, um, and, you know, at poll after poll, even from OBGYNs, regardless of their position on abortion and abortion access, will tell you that life begins at conception. Um, the human elements, the biology has taught us that, and uh, babies through development have a beating heart, can feel pain, and so on. But I, I, if you'll allow me to, my friend, just to take one step back on polling, abortion polling, whether we pay for the poll or Planned Parenthood pays for the poll, is unreliable at best, and I'm being kind. And here's what I mean. If you ask the average person, Betty Buckeye, who has a family of four, just goes about their life, they don't, they couldn't tell you the difference between the Speaker of the Ohio House and the Speaker of the United States. Um, they couldn't name, you know, three Supreme Court justices on the Ohio Supreme Court like we can. Okay, it, 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 we've seen this time and time. You know, are you pro-life or pro-choice? Well, I'm pro-choice. Okay, so you support late-term abortion? Oh, certainly not. I vehemently oppose that. So 28 weeks and eight months? No. Oh my gosh, my gosh, it's a baby. And you keep peeling it back, and you find out, well. You're actually, don't fall on the pro-choice side. Now, good to be very frank and honest, if those that say you're pro-life, okay, so at the moment of conception, no exceptions. No, no, maybe after a couple weeks, you know, give them a couple weeks, maybe at five weeks, then I'm, then I'm pro-life after that. Or I have exceptions for this, that, and the other, um, whatever that may be. And so they're like, well, actually, you're, you fall more in the middle. So I believe a vast majority of Ohioans fall in the middle, and the average Ohioan doesn't know what a fundamental right is. So when that question, and I read that both of those polls you've mentioned and studied them, the average Ohioan doesn't understand or appreciate when something is determined to be a fundamental right. There can be no limits or restrictions. It's unfettered access on demand. So um, when you ask, you have to really pull back a lot of layers, peel back a lot of layers, I should say, um, to get to where Ohioans are. What I do know is neither um, the, the pro-choice side or the pro-life side have an overwhelming veto-proof majority on the issue of, of where it should be. I think most, Ohio most Ohioans, um, maybe a simple majority, maybe not, you know, we can debate that, fall somewhere in the middle. They don't want it up to birth. They may, some of them say, hey, it should be allowed for the first couple of weeks. That's what we've seen where Ohioans are. So what we've tried to do at Ohio Right to Life is take the incremental approach. You know, in my 16 years, we've never introduced a bill to ban abortion at conception. We started, we, we banned late-term abortion under John Kasich. Then we did pain capable. Then we came to the six weeks. So we keep trying to do it, let, let, you know, let society mm -hmm. absorb it, and let Ohioans look at it, see if they're happy with it. And, and then continue to push the needle from there. But going zero to 60 never works regardless of the issue. One of the um, things that comes to mind when you talk, though, about the incremental changes you've been able to achieve in the uh, law in Ohio is that those changes, it seems to me, because of gerrymandering, don't reflect necessarily the citizens of Ohio, the voters of Ohio, um, because most of the people in our state house are there because they can't be defeated by a Democrat. Um, 
just because of the way that the the districts are drawn. Um, I'm not arguing with you that these laws were passed in the, in, in the process of the democratic way that were set up. I'm arguing that maybe that democratic way has changed a lot because of gerrymandering. Um, how do you how do you answer that kind of uh, uh, issue? You know, I, I have great respect for the voters of Ohio when they agree with me or disagree with me. You know, Barack Obama was elected not once but twice uh, by Ohioans in the state of Ohio. So we're not as deep red as people think. Um, but here's what I know. This last election cycle, uh, Republicans won a Democrat-drawn district. Uh, Tina Mahara lost to Michelle Reynolds in the New Albany area. And let, that, well, let me stop. I got to stop you for a second. Okay. When you say a Democratic-drawn district... Mm -hmm. Help me with that. Sure. So um, it, if you look at the current maps as approved, uh, there'll be new ones. That's going to come up here soon again. They have to redraw. Um, there are maps, in my opinion, that are drawn that, that have a Republican index, and there are maps that are drawn that have a Democrat index. What that means is each district, for the House at least, is about 110,000 residents per district. So if you look at the voting patterns over the past decade, it has a Republican index of plus five. So there's more Republicans. Okay. That's So that, that's what I mean by the index. There are there are Democrat seats in the big – look at Franklin County. I mean, it's pretty much all Democrat. You've got a Grove City elected Republican, and you've got now Michelle Reynolds in the new in the Senate, but that's about it. Um, and that's what the voters want. That's that's what they get, you know. So um, on gerrymandering the state house, it, you're never going to find a perfect system. You're just not. Whether we have an independent board or the or elected officials still do it, because it's going to favor one. Per, you, you can't do fifty fifty. It's imp it's impossible to draw a district that you know. It's not me, it's not my family who we live in the Dublin area, and then all of a sudden we have people in Allen County in our district. That wouldn't make sense. I mean, we're different, you know, completely different um, individuals and, and neighborhoods. So in order to keep people closely knit you're going to have districts that favor one side or the other it's just going to happen so with that being said here's here's how i look at um that that issue you brought up there john about you know well gerrymandered districts every two or four years the voters go to the polls and they can either vote the guy in or the gal or vote him out statewide elections are not gerrymandered okay we know that statewide Wait. elections are not gerrymandered no. because everyone in the state of ohio gets to vote so oh, the governor I, well, let me stop you right there they are gerrymandered. The congressional districts are. I'm talking about the statewide office holders, the governor, okay. the uh, attorney general. That's fine. That's fair. I didn't That's understand. Fair. Yeah. Um, and, and our Ohio Supreme Court. This past November, the voters went to the polls and, and voted for not one, not two, but three Republicans for the Ohio Supreme Court that vehemently disagreed with Maureen O'Connor, wrote public um, minority opinions opposing her on redistricting. All three of them won. And if the voters would have thought, you know what, Maureen O'Connor's right, and darn it, we're going to get Jennifer Bruner and the other two in there, that didn't happen. It's up to the voters. The voters spoke. Mike DeWine won with 64, 65% of the vote, and his opponent, Nam Whaley, her entire campaign was based on the Dobbs decision. Every day it was talking about abortion rights, abortion rights. The voters could have went to the polls and said, you know what, Nan's right, we're voting for Nan. They didn't. They voted for Mike. So when I look at these issues, and every four years the voters get to do a statewide election. Next year, Sherrod Brown versus a Republican, we don't know who yet, they'll, they'll speak their mind and we'll see there. And again, voters aren't one issue voters. I get that. There's other issues that come into play too. But they certainly have the opportunity to speak their mind on statewide issues. And, and the pro-life Republican seems to win you know, and do well in these elections. Well, your point is well taken in terms of statewide elections, but I'm I'm not agreeing with you as it pertains to the 99 Ohio state reps and the 33 state senators. Those are clearly gerrymandered. And so I don't know if the real voice of Amer of Ohioans can be felt through its representatives I, because 
if for that reason and other times, I think we see representatives voting contrary to what Ohioans want. But before, before if you want to answer that, go ahead. I got another question. Okay, for you. and I'll be brief. Um, you, back in 2010, uh, Armand Budish, a Democrat, won. You know, Republicans did terrible. You know, on lines drawn for Republicans. If we want to, if we want to have that argument, and the voters went to the polls, and we had a Democrat Speaker of the House for two years, and then Bill Batchelder won the gavel back. But if you look at the gains, we're at 67 Republicans in the House now. They're winning seats in otherwise traditionally blue areas: Eastern Ohio, Southeastern Ohio, Youngstown area. That used to be all blue, meaning Democrat. Mm-hmm. You couldn't be a Republican and win. And Ohio is changing. And I think candidates matter. Issues matter. Because when you have, when you draw a district in Youngstown, it's, it's, they're blue-collar, blue-dog Democrats. You know, there, there aren't a bastion of red Republicans like you have out in western Ohio, all up and down seven, State Route 75, because you can't find Democrats out in western Ohio. But when you're drawing the districts out in, North, you know, the Youngstown area, eastern Ohio, it's really the same people. It's just their values have changed, their opinions, the candidates that are being run by Democrats have changed, and that's where the Republican pickups are coming. That's why we're at 67 right now. Republicans are winning in traditional Democrat areas, regardless of how the lines look. There's probably some, well, there is some truth to that. So I agree with you to Thank some you, extent, no question. Um, and I also agree with the point you made maybe 10 minutes ago. You're right, polls can be faulty because they ask a general question. And as you peel back the onion, you get different answers. So that your point's well taken. Let's look at it from an angle that Gonzo and I were talking about the other day. So regardless of the percentages, there is some number of Ohioans, probably, a, not, not probably, a substantial number of, of Ohioans who would like to see abortion lawful on some basis. And let's get rid of the the easy things like the unfettered right, something that would be middle of the road in terms of abortion rights. Why do you care about an issue that doesn't affect you personally, an issue that's especially important to somebody else, an issue that from the stats I see affects largely women of low income? Why not say, look, I don't like this thing, but I'm not going to stop you from doing what works for you because we agree, disagree on the morality issue, right? I don't like it. You do. But it doesn't affect me. I think that's a fair question. I would say respectfully that it does affect all of us. You know, the taking of an innocent life affects all of us, you know, and, you know, the same reasons why we integrated our schools. I was born in 73 before my time because it was the right thing to do. You know, we could have had rich white people in, in Dublin and New Albany say, this doesn't affect me. Why do I care? I'm just going to sit back and leave it alone. Or slavery. This doesn't affect me. I'm not a slave owner in the South. I live up in Ohio or New York or Pennsylvania. But no, that's, that's not the right thing to do. The right thing to do is to help people. And that's our passion and our foundation. Look, at the end of the day, why do you ask me specifically, why do I care about it? Both of my children are adopted. And um, the my son came from, it was born in East Cleveland. And if you look at the abortion rates in East Cleveland, he should not be on the, he mm-hmm. should not be a 10 year old son living, being my son right now, because the statistics said he would have been aborted and wasn't. His birth mother 
chose life and chose to have him have a life with, with my wife and I. And my daughter we adopted from Guatemala. We don't know anything about her family. She was in an orphanage. Um, but they chose life too, and it's so precious. And you're seeing so many more people embrace adoption. And we're not unique. I mean, if you just look at where I live, there's countless people in our known neighborhood that have children from other countries or you know, uh, African-American families with a Caucasian or vice versa. So we're a blended family, you know, and we have so many people in line that are waiting to adopt children. Well, I, I, first of all, I commend you for adopting because you have made a world of difference for two little kids. Thank you. Amen. That's a wonderful thing, and I and I always commend uh, parents who adopt because I just can't imagine how life changing that was for the kids. But I think you're getting astray. Okay. When you say it affects us all, you went to the matter of integration, school integration. That's an easy argument in comparison, because when you don't integrate, there are plenty of statistics that show that those low income or minority children don't benefit. They actually benefit when there's integration. And in fact, even the majority kids do better in an integrated scene. That's what I've read. The abortion thing is different. I mean, what what you're doing is saying, well, let's go all the way back and this child who wouldn't otherwise be born gets to be born and gets to live well. I get that. But that's miles away from the integration question and the whole societal issue of what's good for kids. Well, um, I think that, you, that that's a fair and valid argument. I think what's good for kids is, is a chance to live their God-given potential. Um, every time over the past 16 years we've asked, you know, what are barriers to women who um, seek an abortion, whether it be health care. Ohio Right to Life is the only organization I stood up and testified that supported Medicaid expansion when John Kasich brought it to the table. We supported it then. We support it today. Medicaid expansion was the right. Now, we got to figure out some of these costs. I mean, they're getting out of, out of control, a different issue, but it was the right thing to do. We are the only group that did it, and we don't apologize for it because everyone should have access to a doctor in Ohio, regardless of what zip code you live in or what your skin color or socioeconomic status is. We did that. We believe in that common sense approach. We are the only organization year in and year out that makes sure that there's access to whether it be prenatal care, diapers, formula, car seats, cribs, clothing. We are out there on the front lines. And we just got another $3 million from the legislature to help nonprofits across the state that are helping women who find themselves in an unintended pregnancy or an intended pregnancy and they don't have access to, to the, the right health care or whatever that is. We believe in the common sense approach, not just banning things or restricting things, but how do you help that woman who lives in Guernsey County, Cuyahoga County, that might be scared, might be afraid, might not know what to do. Let's make sure that she knows what all of her options are. Well, first of all, I got to applaud you for approving Medicaid expansion when states are now reversing that across mm -hmm. the nation, which to me is mind boggling. And I applaud you for doing those things that you've mentioned for it sounds like women who are concerned about having a child and then they have children. But if you were to measure how much effort, this might be hard to do, how much effort you put into the lobbying versus how much you're doing to improve the lives of pregnant mothers or I shouldn't say pregnant women and mothers, what do you think the percentage of time goes? For me personally, we all have our roles at Ohio Right to Life. 100% of my time is the lobbying because the lobbying allows us to capture the dollars. I meant the group as a whole. 
the group as a whole. So we have 50 chapters across the state of Ohio. They don't come to Columbus and lobby. They stay in their counties. You know, we don't have one in every all 88 counties, but we have tri-county um, chapters, and they work on the ground and with the community centers, Catholic social services, um, community health centers, clinics, federally qualified community health centers. That's their role on the ground um, and open up and help uh, with different centers that help distribute formula, diapers, car seats. So that's, that's where our strength lies. It's not Mike on a dock. It's Ohio Right to Life here in Columbus. It's out in the communities across the state of Ohio. So 100% of their time is on the ground face-to-face with women, with different groups helping women and children. Our job is to work the halls of the state house, make the sausage, work with the administrators, you know, the government officials. Um, you know, if a woman calls me at Ohio Right to Life and says, I need help, I would say, well, I, 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 where do you live? I mean, number one, we're going to get you in contact with that right person because we're not that center. You know, we're the advocacy arm. So... Ohio Right to Life is more than just the legislative process of, of restricting abortion. And you mentioned some really wonderful things that you're doing. I wonder if you are, um, or where your company, excuse me, where your organization's position is on, say, gun control. I read a statistic in the paper the other day that more, the leading cause of death of children is from firearms. Is your uh, organization involved in any way in that? Uh, and I ask you that, Mike, because I know that a lot of Christian conservatives are also Second Amendment people, too. And um, anything that your organization does with regard to that? Very fair question, my friend. And I will tell you that you know, since the beginning of our, our conception of our organization, we've been a singular focused organization. Um, now we've added, we've added some statements as it relates to human trafficking and the like, but um, we don't get involved in issues outside of life, whether it be the beginning of life or end of life issues, which we could spend two hours talking about end of life issues. That's the next battlefront um, and the issue here. Um, on, but to answer your question specifically, um, we don't take a position on marriage. We don't take a position on taxes, guns, immigration, you know, um, what your faith is. We, we focus on life. We're asked all the time, hey, come to the statehouse. There's a rally on X. We can't because that's not who we are. That's not what we do. Yeah, but all your members are going to be there. Well, that's fine, but that's not what Ohio Right to Life. If it has to do with life from beginning to end, we'll be there. If it has to do with finding an opportunity to help women, social services, we're there. Um, but on you know, um, immigration, guns, the like, that's mm-hmm. not that's not part of our mission statement. One of the issues that's near and dear to Jack's heart is um, the death penalty. Mm. And um, again, along those same lines, it, it, it seems to me that an organization who, as you say, is interested in life from conception to, to its natural end uh, might have a position on the death penalty. So um, our brothers and sisters in the Catholic Church have a strong position on the death penalty. Um, talk to the, our new bishop. Um, his brother's actually on our board of directors and, and the like. At Ohio Right to Life, um, we um, are neutral on the death penalty at the current moment. And the reason I tell you that is our mission statement says to protect and defend, here's the word, innocent human life from conception until natural death. Um, I can tell you over the past five to seven years, there's been a great thawing on the opinion of the death penalty where it used to be strongly in favor. And I think today, you know, this is just one man's opinion, of course, but it's lukewarm at best on on keeping the death penalty in place. Um, L- lukewarm among who? I, I, I didn't follow you. I'm pro-lifers. Sorry. I, I think pro-lifers 10, 15, 20 years ago would have said would have been strong death penalty proponents. I think today lukewarm at best on supporting the death penalty um, amongst pro-life community. Well, let me challenge you. 
you said your group is singularly focused on life from beginning to end. Innocent human life is our is in our mission statement. Innocent well, human you, life. You got okay, but you got this line on your blog on your website. We do not get to pick and choose which humans are worth worthy of dignity or equal treatment. Mm-hmm. The death penalty necessarily is somebody making a decision as to who gets to live and who gets and who should die. Your group is saying all unborn, all fetuses, all unborn children have the right to be born. So why doesn't that thought extrapolate to the death penalty? Mm-hmm. If you don't get to choose what children should be aborted, then you don't get to choose what people get to be I'll use the word murdered by the state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, compelling argument. Hard to argue with that. And that's why I, I, I said, maybe I didn't say it well enough, and I apologize, is that you know the, the strength for the death penalty used to be high, higher, and now I think it's really low. I think you could pass a bill, this General Assembly, with Republican support to abolish the death penalty. Now, Governor DeWine's abolished it. I mean, he's put a moratorium on it, um, and we, we have no, no executions in Ohio. Well, thank goodness for his moratorium, but it hasn't been repealed statutorily. But don't you see lending a hand with repealing the death penalty be, as far as I can see, absolutely consistent with your charter? Yeah, well, it's not a ter- it's not a peripheral issue like guns. I, that's again a fair question, and I think that the blog, the, the what you quoted there, is is not our constitution. Those are words from a staff member, and you know, and I, we stand by everything written. Nothing there should change. Um, but our constitution says protect innocent human life. So it, for us to take a position on the death penalty, positive or negative, we would have to. The, we have a process involved with our board of directors, and it's not just up to me, you know. So we have to. Oh well, yeah. why don't you go change your constitution? <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> if if there was a law passed tomorrow banning the death penalty, you we wouldn't we would be as happy as can be. Well, and when you think about innocent life, unfortunately, the death penalty does take innocent lives. Um, well, yeah, that's a great point. Uh, a lot of. Um, Across yes. the country, a lot of people have been exonerated well uh, on, on death row. Well said. Mike, when we, we think back to this, um, the issue of politicians dealing with abortion, um, many Republicans are anti-abortion, but there are Republicans that are pro-choice. And at the state level, our politicians didn't, there was a time where they didn't have to to pick or choose because the easy answer was, well, the Supreme Court's decided this. That's a federal issue. We don't have to deal with it on a state level. But now the Supreme Court's has thrown it back to the state. So all of our state politicians are being asked, where do you fall? Does your organization have a litmus test on who to support then as far as Republican candidates? Is it you have to be anti-abortion for us to give you any support? Well, certainly, and no different than Planned Parenthood saying you have to be pro-choice to get the support from Planned Parenthood. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, and which is it's a great question, is uh, our litmus test is how they respond to us. We have a questionnaire that we send to every legislator, Democrat and Republican, because we enjoy uh, supporting Democrats. You go to, the, the, the big fallacy is there's not pro-life Democrats. 
I'll take you up to Cleveland. The largest suburb is Parma. The mayor, Tim DeGeter, former state rep, is devoutly pro-life, devoutly Catholic, and the mayor before him, uh, devoutly pro-life. So there's tons of pro-life Democrats in Ohio. They're not, they don't run for whatever reason. We'd love to endorse them. We used to endorse Denise Driehaus out of Cincinnati. I could go on and on. Steve, uh, Mr. Wilson, Jason Wilson, state senator out of Eastern Ohio. But there's just, we're not, we're not the Ohio Democrat Party. We don't get to pick and choose which candidates get to run or not. So um, what's happened is it's been balkanized. Republicans, pro-life. Democrats, candidates, not right. everyday people, pro-choice. So um, we have a questionnaire. They fill it out and they have to sign it. And we ask them very direct and pointed questions. Where are you on this issue? Would you support this legislation? So we don't tell them how to answer it. They have to answer it, sign it, and then we keep their their uh, survey on file. So you know they'll get our support if they answer our surveys appropriately. And, and if they don't, we call and say, hey, you know, we're not endorsing you for this reason and that reason. This may be an issue um, that really um, combats the gerrymandering, uh, Jack. And I know how you feel that gerrymandering is so embedded that that it's hard to to, uh, get anybody elected in some of these um, districts. But, you know, these candidates, they go door to door and people are going to ask them what their stance is on abortion now because... You know, I know that not everybody is educated to the point of knowing all the issues, but this is out there and they're going to have to say it before they could have gotten around it by it's not a state issue. But now it is. And if you're talking to Republicans that are pro-choice and you uh, come out as, uh, you know, anti-abortion, you may lose some Republican support. Certainly. And and there isn't a lot of that to be lost in some of these districts, even though they may be uh, skewed a little Republican, but a lot of them, as Mike said, you know, it's maybe uh, 52-48. So that's a great point. Mm -hmm. Uh, The last thing um, that I wanted to talk to you about, uh, too, is is kind of back to this constitutional um, uh, issue. Uh, you mentioned that uh, about fundamental rights, and, and I assume your position would be the majority of people cannot take away a fundamental right, such as the right of this fetus to live, uh, no matter how many people. Ninety percent of the population of, of America can't take away our fundamental rights. But the Constitution is about constitutional rights, not fundamental rights. Um but I would argue with you that a woman has a fundamental right to autonomy over her body and that um, it doesn't matter what the percentages are of people that believe it. She has that fundamental right. How do you answer that question for a woman that says, why do you and your organization want to violate my fundamental right? Mm-hmm. Well, we would say her unborn daughter has the fundamental rights, too. Um, and that's our position on that. Look, we wouldn't, you know, we take no position on it if a woman wants to be married, single, if she wants to be same, happy in a same-sex relationship. That's her business. Tattoos, no, I mean, however she wants to live her life, want to be a CEO, want to be a street sweeper, live your life the way you want. And any form of discrim- discrimination against her or him um, is despicable and should be stomped out. But when we, when, a, when an unborn child is involved, we believe that that child has just as much rights as as birth mom does and what we're trying to do is is provide her every opportunity to have her child have a healthy pregnancy raise her child in the best environment possible um, or place her child for adoption Um, and 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 that's the core the focus of it you know live and let live that's that's our motto however you want to live your life that's great but that little girl growing inside you deserves a right to live too do you uh or are you concerned that 
with the makeup of the Supreme Court. Um, when the makeup of the Supreme Court changed, the law on abortion changed. The makeup's going to change again. And the law on abortion's going to change again, I would think. Does that concern you, or is it just we're in the fight for the long haul and we'll keep fighting no matter what the, uh, uh, you know, the odds are? Yeah, you know, hey, you guys have been practicing law longer than I and way smarter than I. I guess within the history of, of our jurisprudence, you know, do we see big swings like that when the makeup changes? Well, we want to revisit this issue. I'm not sure that's the case, um, that it ha- happens quite often. Of course, the Supreme Court has reversed itself. That that's We've seen that and seen it in the Dobbs case. Um, but to see a seismic shift in the future, that'd be tough, especially with states now enshrining it one way or another in their state constitutions or passing laws on it. I think that, you know, the same reason why they're not revisiting same-sex marriage or they're not revisiting Obamacare, for lack of a better term, Affordable Health Care Act. You know, the the law settled on that and you see them denying cert all the times on the, I mean, there's plenty of cases coming through the pipeline that they could look at on abortion there. I mean, there's, there's, countless cases and I'm assuming they're just going to they're going to deny cert on any and all of those do you see you may have a better feel for this the younger generation it, it just my guess is my gut reaction is is that they are um, going to be more pro-choice than our generation mm-hmm. um, do, do you see that the way it's coming up I mean, you've got people on you know on, on the ground, so to speak, with these uh, organizations around the state. What's your read of it? A great question. One man's opinion, being on the ground and seeing that it's what we've seen from the younger generation, to find them however you want to, millennials, whatever, you know, whatever, 15 year old to 20 some year old. Um, there are two things, two phenomenons that we've seen in, in uh, focus groups is um, the acceptance of same sex marriage, 80, 90%, you know, fine, that's great. Um, and abortion is, is, is is declining in its support because they're seeing um, whether it be their favorite actress or social media TikToker, you know, um, with adoption, um, placing their teenage moms, you know, being able to make it and you know have a life, and they're seeing that you know being pregnant isn't a death sentence. The issue that we need to continue to focus on is mom and dad. More times than I can count over my years at Ohio Right to Life, a, a woman has approached me in tears saying how she had an abortion because her parents forced her to. Her dad was a big executive at a company. Mom was afraid what her friends at the bridge club would think, you know, this, that, or the other, or they thought were worried about her going to college. So, you know, I, I worry less about our youth and I want to focus more on moms and dads. What do you think, Jack? I think I learned a lot. I did too. Uh, Mike, we really appreciate you coming out. Um, your, uh, your opinions are well thought out. You're very eloquent, and, um, and um, I learned a lot too. So thank you very much. Thank you, gentlemen. I have to tell you, Mike, I think you did a great job at, uh, answering what I think were pretty pointed questions, uh, and I appreciate much of what your organization does. I'm still not on board with this core issue of abortion, but to the extent that you were in favor of Medicaid expansion, to the extent that you are helping uh, troubled pregnant women and providing help to mothers, and the fact that you've adopted two kids, that's that's all wonderful stuff. So I'm on board with a lot, but not everything you do. Thank you, sir. But I certainly appreciate the good conversation. Likewise. Our thanks to WOSU and our sound engineer, Eric French. If you like what you've heard today, tell a friend. 
We want this show to be more than just us. We'd like it to be all of us. We'll be back in a few weeks with another important social justice issue. Until then, so long.